0: This is the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast with James Rapine and
1: Daryl Ryder on 923thefan.com.
0: What up? Welcome into another edition of the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. I'm James Rapine along with Daryl Ryder. We are your beat writers for 923thefan, 923thefan.com. We do this each and every week. No Daryl this week, though. He's on vacation. He's getting his nails done. He's working on his tan and probably working on his house, uh, check his Instagram. He keeps you up to date on all things Dale Ryder and the, the Ryder Mansion uh, via Instagram on vacation this week. He will be back next week. Obviously, wall-to-wall training camp coverage on 92.3 The Fan, 92.3TheFan.com. We're going to talk Browns today. In fact, Jake Burns right around the corner. There's a lot I want to talk to Jake about. So we will do that coming up in just a few minutes here. On the Cleveland Sports Beat podcast, and that's not all. No, 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 no. Because when you're you're filling the shoes of Daryl Ryder, you need to find guests, right? Guess who I got? Greg Allen, Indians outfielder, going to talk about the Bobby Bradley uh, situation, him being sent down. I I talked to Greg about a bunch of different things because this Indians team, they're surging, they're surging, and they're fifty-three and forty, just five games behind the Twins after yesterday's eight to nothing win over the Tigers. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that as well. So some thoughts on the Indians, some thoughts on the Browns, all coming at you on today's podcast. Before we dive into it, a quick reminder to subscribe. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the Radio.com app, wherever you get your podcast. you want the Cleveland Sports Beat podcast. Subscribe to it, review it, so more Cleveland sports fans can find this. We do it every week, bringing you behind the curtain of the Cleveland sports scene. Behind the curtain. I'm going to talk about Jose Ramirez, too. I didn't talk about that, or I didn't tease that, but that's certainly something I want to get into. But first, I want to start with the Browns. In life, self-awareness is important. It is important. It's important to know where you are at your company, whatever company it is. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be a server. I've served before. You could be in sales. I I was in sales for five years. You could be in radio. I've been radio for, for quite some time now. You could be intelligent. Whatever you do. Self-awareness is important. The equity you've built up is important. Your value is important. You need to know it. If you're not aware of your value, and we all know someone who isn't, right? We all have a coworker who's like, man, if they don't give me a raise, I'm getting the hell out of here. And they're not valuable. It, it, because value is what gets you the raise. It isn't if you work hard or if you show up on time. Like Those things are, are important. But anybody can do that. And when I think about Duke Johnson, it's exactly what comes to mind. There's a difference between being a good character guy, which he has been for, for quite some time. I, I No doubt about it. This trade request doesn't say anything about that to me. Uh, he's a, a good dude. He's dealt with some bad teams. He's been a, a solid player on bad teams. He's kept his head down and grinded. And guess what? He got awarded with a contract. But the thing that boggles my mind about this situation is now we're really close to training camp, right? Depending on when you're listening to this. A week or within a week of training camp. And Duke Johnson's trade request is still out there. He's switched agents. Now moved on to Drew Rosenhaus. He still wants a trade. Makes no zero sense to me. When you look at his contract, four plus million dollars this year that he's going to make. When you look at his production, eh. And then when you look at his value. You play running back, dude. How many 1,000-yard seasons rushing do you have? How many great receiving? Because I always hear, oh, Duke Johnson such a great receiver. Really? Let's see the numbers. You play a position that isn't valuable. Duke Johnson. You're Duke Johnson. <laughs> Ezekiel Elliott might have to hold out to get a new deal. Melvin Gordon is expected to hold out to get a new deal. They are you times three, times four. They are way better than you from a talent standpoint. Duke Johnson, there's a Duke Johnson on every team in the NFL. You're replaceable. So that's why if you're a college kid and you're a server, you can't go to your boss after showing up on time for a year straight and being a good server, and learning the menu, and doing everything possible, and helping the other servers train, and all that stuff, and rolling silverware, and staying late, and all that. You know what you can't do? Go up and say, I want $10 an hour as a server, plus all my tips. You're replaceable. Why the hell would a restaurant do that? Why, Why would they do that? There is no team in the NFL that should look at Duke Johnson right now and say, oh yeah, $4 Four million this year, five plus next year? <laughs> Sign me up. Are you kidding? I and we got to give up an asset? A, a top a, a, a pick that's in the top four rounds, from what I've heard. Hell no, I'm not doing that. There are decent free agent running backs out there. There, there are. Like the last thing I'm doing is giving up a valuable asset. In the top four rounds, even top five rounds, for Duke Johnson, who honestly might have just been a solid player on a bad team for a couple of years. I'm not saying he's not talented, but this idea that Duke Johnson would go be a star elsewhere, where's that? New England? Because I've heard New England a lot. Oh, really? Well, they have Sony Michel, okay, and they also have James White. Where's Duke Johnson fit in there? Let's go with the worst team in the AFC North. Everyone says Cincinnati's the worst team in the AFC North. He doesn't fit there. Not even close. Giovanni Bernard's better than him. Joe Mixon's better than him. Let's go to the Ravens. Oh, not going to work there. Uh, Baltimore. Oh, yeah, they said Mark Ingram. And then Pittsburgh. No, not going to work there. We can go around the league. People say Tampa. They'll say this. Duke Johnson, you're just a guy. You're just the college server who shows up on time. And that's fine. There's value in that. But you gotta know your worth, man. You can't be a diva. So if I was Drew Rosenhaus, what I would do today is I would say, Duke, the, the Browns are actually the perfect situation for you, you idiot. They're perfect. And I don't know what's behind the scenes, and, and that's that's part of it. But from what I've heard behind the scenes, there's there's nothing there's nothing insanely out there, you know, there's nothing between the franchise and Duke that is so wild that he just can't play for them anymore. Because you know what I see? I see a young quarterback in Baker Mayfield. I see Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Uh, a, a running back in Nick Chubb who can take the, the bulk of the carries, and yet you can still thrive in that pass-catching role. You can still thrive in getting some carries, being the third down back at times. Like, dude, this is the opportunity. For eight games, you got it. to so show you can be productive on a good team, and instead you're being a distraction? What are you thinking? Makes no sense to me. And it's going to continue to be a topic until they come out and they say, hey, no, I want to be here. Until he comes out and says, nope, I want to be here. I took back my trade request. I was an idiot. And the Browns say, yep, we're we're glad that you're here. And that's it. That ends it. That buries it. No one like me is going to be talking about it. I'm going to ask Jake Burns about Duke Johnson coming up in three minutes here on the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. To me, it's just, it makes no sense. And you might say, oh, James, your analogies are not. No, you got to know your worth. You got to know your worth. You cannot demand a trade causing a distraction when you're a role player at best. Because, yeah, there is a scenario where Nick Chubb stays healthy, Kareem Hunt stays healthy, and Duke Johnson suddenly the third guy in that backfield from week nine on, or game number nine on. I get it. I understand it. Certainly possible. But, even with that said, the third back in New England still gets some reps. The third back in New Orleans finds his way to get some reps. If you're Duke Johnson, this is a good spot. The Browns are finally good. You went through all those bad teams. I get it. You want to play. You also need to have self-awareness. It reminds me of, like, the... The parents of the, the junior college kid who keep telling the kid, oh, you should transfer elsewhere. Oh, you're good enough. You should play. You could play. You, you just transfer to another school. You're going to go pro. No, honestly, you're just a, a junior college kid that's hanging on bench warming. And for Duke Johnson, you're not a future pro bowler. For Duke Johnson, you're not an all-pro. You know what? You're not really a starting running back in the NFL. You're a good player. And it isn't personal. You're a good player, but you need to know that. You need to know, self-awareness-wise, what you are. It's fine. The Browns might trade you anyway. But this idea that causing a distraction and making trade demands, whoever said that that was a good idea, probably probably deserved to be fired. And I don't think it was your former agent, because you're still clinging to this with your new agent. So maybe his former agent, decided to say, hey, man, Duke, you're, you're in a good spot. You actually might be productive because he might be. And instead he's causing a distraction. And I, I, just, I think it's interesting that it's still stretched out. It's July 17th. I remember sitting in this room before the draft like, oh, yeah, New England might give up a pick. And it was really before we knew what the Browns were looking for. But from what I've heard, it was a fourth rounder or better. They didn't get anywhere near that. The offers weren't even close to that. And it's just, it's crazy to me. I'm James Erpine. This is the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. You can follow on Twitter, at James Erpine, and check out all my work, all of Daryl Ryder's work on the Browns, on our website, 923thefan.com. All right, let's welcome in one of my favorite Browns guests. He's one of my favorites because he breaks down the film. He does it in an awesome way that you and I can understand. He is Jake Burns of Cleveland.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Jake underscore Burns 18, Jake, I appreciate the time. As always, let's start with Duke Johnson. I just want to get your thoughts on Duke and what you've seen on film in the player. Is the talent worth the headache that he's causing with his trade demands?
1: Well, I've kind of maintained sort of from the beginning that I I obviously think Duke Johnson is a valuable commodity. I think he's a good player. I think the Browns feel that he's obviously a good player and a valuable commodity as well. Because they rewarded him with a uh, pretty healthy contract, and that was John Dorsey, one of his first, you know, one of his first moves in his first offseason was giving Duke the contract he currently sits on and pays him good running back money. So the Browns value him. Um, you know, it's been, I, I think he's going into year five here. It's been just maybe even year six, just multiple. Regimes have come and gone as the Browns can only seem to do and it's Nobody seems to use him the way everybody thinks he should be used So there's like some disconnect between how much he can play where he should play all of those things And I think it leads to some frustration on both sides because the public perception is he should be used more But maybe those in the locker room don't feel like he's, you know capable of doing those sorts of things So there's just some weird disconnect there to me and his situation and asking for a trade was just sort of it was ironic to me because i understand that he probably feels undervalued um but at the same time the running back position is so replaceable in the nfl and the browns decided that they didn't want to move him for pennies on the dollar such as a sixth or seventh round pick so they do value him it's just a matter of Um, you know, looking at what you can get in return for anybody. And we talked about this off the air, but anybody is tradable within a franchise. If somebody called and said, hey, we'll give you 15 first round. I know this isn't a rule that you could do this, but if someone said we'll give you our next 10 10 to 15 first round picks for Baker Mayfield, you'd consider it. It would be considered. Everybody is considered uh, for a trade. So I think Duke Johnson just, you know, his feelings are hurt. He went through really rough times here, so things getting better. As the team is turning around, he, he doesn't feel valued or disrespected now that he went through the bad times and he he doesn't feel like a, you know, a valuable part of what should be the good times ahead. I'm not sure, but the hiring of Drew Rosenhaus is, is certainly a sign that he wants to push further for, for being traded because Rosenhaus is obviously the guy who got Emmanuel Ogba out of Cleveland and worked with Dorsey to pull that trade off for Eric Murray. So, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know if he's being a cancer in there. I don't know any of it. All we know is that he showed up to minicamp and he said right off the bat, like the media walked in, one of the first things he said was, he was one of the first guys we met with, and he just said, I want out. I want out. I want out of here. Trade me. And a valuable question was asked by, I believe, Daryl, which was, is there anything the Browns can do to mend this? And he said, no, just point blank no, which means it's something that is beyond repair. So it's a problem, it lingers as a problem until Duke Johnson and John Dorsey sit down with the media, the public, come out with a statement saying that they're going to push forward together, it is going to be a lingering problem.
0: Yeah, if I'm Duke Johnson, I look around and I say, "All right, so I'm making 3.6 million in base salary this year. You get your signing bonuses and all that stuff, cap it at 4.8. You're making good money." So when you look at that, the money's good. You have suddenly after years and years of dealing with Johnny Manziel and a bunch of revolving doors at quarterback, you suddenly have a quarterback in Baker Mayfield. who seems like he's going to be here for the next decade. You have Odell Beckham jr. On one side Jarvis Landry. You have young promising players like Antonio Calloway, David and this offense that's perfect. And I get it. It's crowded in that running back room. Nick Chubb's the guy after that Kareem hunt, certainly more talented than you deep down. Duke Johnson knows that at the same time, Kareem Hunt's a question mark. Like, this is your opportunity, especially because he's suspended for eight games. What I would do is I I would have instructed or or tried to. Maybe his former agent did this, and that's why he fired him, is try to sit down with him and say, hey, Duke, this is a really good spot for you. If, If you want to showcase your talent, you have eight games to do it, probably more because running backs get hurt, injuries happen in football. This is a good spot for you to be productive. I get it; it's the Browns, and you've struggled here in the past, and you feel like you've been underutilized. But you got a real shot here to have an impact. And let's be honest, you're getting paid well too. To me, this is a good situation for him to be in. Like a lot of, like I think about, like if you're James White, I I, I know he's in a perfect situation right now. But people compare Duke Johnson and James White. James White would fit well in this Browns offense. Like Duke Johnson could fit in and have a role here. And it boggles my mind that it's so. It's unrepairable, as you said, as he said, uh, in minicam. It makes no sense to me because I think it's a really good fit.
1: It, it certainly seems like it. It doesn't seem to me from the outside. And, again, this is there could be details that we're missing in all of this to sort of render his feelings to the point that he doesn't feel like he's even remotely valued. Um, but, yeah, from the outside, it's like it doesn't make a ton of sense. He's playing on a good contract. He has eight weeks. I know he's sort of playing for his next contract, putting good – you know, more good reps on on film so that when he's done with his time with Cleveland or Cleveland lets him go at some point in the next few years, he can go somewhere else. But it's like you have eight weeks to do that, continue to do that. And if you're effective enough in those eight weeks, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield or playing out of the slot, whatever, I don't see the Browns just eliminating him from the game plan when Kareem Hunt comes back. Yeah, Kareem Hunt's very good. And they'll probably have some packages for him that he is specifically the lead back. But like Duke, Duke Johnson can do other variable things, jet sweeps, different screen type uh, systems, you know, so I, I just, it's, it just seems so strange to me that he thinks like when week eight comes, I'm just done. Like, that's not the case. If you're playing well, you're going to continue to play well.
0: Jake Burns is with us. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I do want to switch gears, though, because it, it, as much time as I want to talk about the backup running back on the Browns, it, it, I can't believe we spent – like that's the thing is we spent so much time talking about Duke Johnson. That might be the Browns' biggest headache right now, which is a, a good thing. I also don't think you could be a backup running back causing headaches. But that's neither here nor there. Let's uh, let's move on, Jake. I, I think uh, – yeah, I'll,
1: I'll uh, say that's true, though. That, like we are talking about that, and it is something we're still going to be talking about in the camp. And I think that's why Baker Mayfield was so frustrated when he sure. made his comments is, like, we're, we're talking about something that really doesn't matter that much here. He's not going to affect everybody in this locker room. And he wanted to make that clear. So it's, like, it's a talking point. Like I said earlier, we'll move on. I don't mean to, to, to keep hatching out either. But, like, until they come out and say something, it is going to keep being talked about. So there's no frustration that should be allowed from, from anybody in the Brown side or the player side because it is, it is, it is still out there that he wants to be traded and it is sort of our job to figure out if that will be mended.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Jake. No doubt about it. And you mentioned Baker Mayfield. Let's let's talk about him because you had a really good piece this week on things he can improve on. We see his potential. We saw it last year. He sets the rookie record for touchdowns. We know how great he can be. But you broke down the things that you saw on film that he can improve on. What did you see... And, and what did you you write about because to me it was a really good piece and I think it's it's interesting because no one looks at it that way like he needs to improve but to me he certainly needs to take a step forward if he's going to be winning big games in not only December but January come playoff time
1: yeah good question I, I think that's something I wanted to touch on this offseason it came a little later than I expected it to come but I think it's fair for people to look at I know that the city's you know buzzing about all of the potential that is there and there is it doesn't take a trained eye to see that this offense should be really effective, um, you know, here in year two for, for Mayfield. And and, like, I don't want to harp on the negative, but I do think it's fair to look at a player and say, this is where things went wrong. Are these traits of things going wrong, something that could carry or linger into a second season? Because like, I think, I think there's a people have this idea that quarterback progress is linear. Like because Mayfield sets the rookie touchdown record, his is first year starting and it only happened in 13 and a half games and he had to deal with you Jackson and he had to deal with all of these other side effects, you know, not getting any first team reps really throughout preseason, very few in, 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 in preseason, I should say, and then not really many in training camp. Like he's going to be that much better in year two. I think that is, is very possible. I think it is extremely almost even likely because if you look at the recent trend of quarterbacks in year two, the game has slowed down for them a lot, and they've been able to sort of take their game to another level. I wrote about this. Uh, it'll come out why Mayfield's MVP candidacy has real legs, because if you look at, like, what Jared Goff has done in his year two jump, you look at what Carson Wentz did in 2017, which, in reality, if Carson Wentz doesn't tear that ACL in 2017 late in the year, he's your MVP, not Tom Brady. He would have finished strong, obviously, and, and his, his numbers were everything that was trending toward an MVP win. So that would be a second-year quarterback winning an MVP then you consider what Patrick Mahomes did as a year two quarterback, winning the MVP. It's like if you look at recent trends, Baker Mayfield almost should be one of the top five favorite guys to win this award. Um, but I want to make sure to reiterate that, it, and this is for Browns fans to really understand, is that it is not always. It is it is being made to look this way recently, but it's not always this way. Like. He might not take incredible steps this year. He might only throw 31, 32 touchdowns, something like that, which is really good Browns quarterbacks. um, If you look at the past of Browns quarterbacks, dating back to Bernie and and Brian Todd, like those are good numbers, but they're not on par with like what the MVP awards are winning, uh, you know, those type of numbers sort of thing. So I'm just sort of doing the cautionary thing of this is where he could go wrong. So he had some issues against zone coverage. I think 14 of his interceptions, nine of them, came against his own coverage and they were just misidentifying a player, misidentifying somebody in coverage. He just didn't see whether that's a passing window wasn't there for him to see that guy or he just missed him. Sometimes things are moving really quick for a quarterback and um, you know, you just can't see it. You miss a guy, his six foot and then some change, you know, height doesn't always help that detrimental. Obviously he played really well, but it does come into play occasionally. And uh, some of his gunslinger, you know, motto stuff. He he's, was, I think second in the league and, and um, Pro Football is tight window throws, which are throws that, you know, arrive in a really small margin for error, which is a great stat, but it also means that within the next given season, those, some of those throws could lead to interception. So that's something to pay attention to. And then I wrote, too, he's got a little bit of a propensity to miss high over the middle, sort of lo- shorter quarterbacks when they're trying to drive the football. That elbow will drop a little bit, and that leads to the ball sailing when they're really trying to drive it over top of linemen. Um, sort of because you're going over the lineman, you're trying to drop it over um, linebackers' heads into the second level there. But And then also he had some issues rolling to his left. He made a couple of mistakes. But I'm nitpicking. Like, I'm nitpicking mistakes because he didn't make a ton, and he was really good his rookie year. We all really hope in the, in the math that, you know, Freddie Kitchens and now Todd Monken's explosive play nature, adding Odell Beckham, adding Kareem Hunt, another year for Callaway Higgins, uh, David Njoku going into year three, and then, you know, uh, a mixture of all of those things with Mayfield hopefully progressing does equal what we all are expecting. And the Browns fan base should – I'm getting wrong with it. I'm sorry. Browns fan base should expect this, but it's also the idea that things aren't guaranteed. Quarterback progress is certainly not linear. Does not Just one year does not guarantee a good year the next. So I'll be interested to see how these things work because Mayfield's offseason, he's going to say, where do I need to improve? How do I improve on it? That kind of thing. That should be his thought process, and I'm sure it was for him.
0: Jake Burns is with us. Make sure you check out that entire piece at cleveland.com. Let's uh, switch gears. Let's look at the other side of the ball. Miles Garrett, he made some comments about not using all of the, the moves in his repertoire and, and, and Greg Williams basically kind of limiting his potential. When you popped on the film, Jake, and you watch him, is that true? Is that statement that, and I'm paraphrasing, and I know it's not entirely accurate, but was Miles Garrett, Um, did, did he only use a couple of moves last season for the most part when he was rushing the passer? Yeah,
1: he, he seems to maintain gap integrity. So a lot of times he would use um, the dip-rip the dip move, which is trying to turn the corner, rip your inside arm, and win with low leverage because he's a special athlete, massive guy. You see him up close, you're like, that guy's not the same species I am. He's just not. The way he can move at the size he is and turning the corner on big offensive tackles. so like that dip-rip, winning with speed off the edge, he would use the long arm, that inside arm that I talked about in that piece I wrote for Cleveland.com yesterday. He could lock that inside arm and then sort of determine which way he wanted to take the lineman, whether that was into um, the quarterback or if that was sort of pushed up field so he could get inside and win, he would do that move often. And and then he would just sort of bull rush his way with two hands, too. He didn't use, like, if you watch some of the best doing at Von Miller, for example, like, some of the counter, different jerk pull counter moves that he'll use or spin moves. Like, if you watch Miles Garrett, he didn't use any of those creative moves. Like, he was sort of told – I think I see a guy who was told – and this isn't totally abnormal because defensive coordinators will want their guys to maintain certain you know, spots and pass rush because if you kind of freelance too much, it might lead to an open lane for a quarterback to win scrambling or uh, you know, you could lose gap integrity in run game. It's not, I guess what I'm saying is it's not foreign for a guy to be told you need to really limit the number of moves you have. But I think when you get guys as special as Miles, you should let them have creativity, autonomy over what they want to do um, you know, within getting to the quarterback. If there's a first and ten and it's a run tendency down, I think he needs to really keep those in check because it's a run tendency for them or second and two, whatever. But if it's third and 13, I want to give him the full bag of arsenal moves to to do that, get home to the quarterback however he can, whether that's a spin move, whether that's a dip, rip, club, swim, whatever he wants to do get there just get there and it sounds like steve wilkes will allow him to do that And miles is excited so you're looking at a guy who won uh you know 13 and a half sacks was really good player his second season with a limited availability of things he could do now you add some unpredictability for him because you know offensive tackles watch tape 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 what did this guy do the year before what is his go-to there's going to be a level of mystery with him this year in terms of what he can throw at people so I wouldn't be surprised to see some different types of moves. And an 18 to 20 sack season should be what he is gunning for and what the Browns are hoping for out of him, especially considering they now have multiple threats along that defensive line, including the opposite edge of Olivier Vernon giving him a threat that means he won't always be sort of thrown that secondary tight end or a running back to chip him or change his course all the time. And then they can also move him inside where he's a really effective rusher from the 3 technique where he just overwhelms guards. So I expect him to do that too and get Jannard Avery on the field plenty.
0: All right, Jake, you've been great with your time. A, a quick uh a few quick hits here for you. Just is there a guy that stands out that's kind of going under the radar but when you pop on the film you're really excited for this season? Maybe not, you know, obviously you're excited for Odell Beckham Jr. everyone is. But is there an under the radar guy that you saw on film flash a bit last year? that excites you to see if he can continue to grow this year?
1: I think the answer for me on offense continues to be Rashard Higgins. I don't think he gets talked about enough. I think we obviously love Odell, what he's going to bring. You love Jarvis Landry. You think he's going to be a really good number two. And people have really been on the Antonio Callaway train, including the coaching staff and players, talking about how much better shape he's in this year, all of those things sort of being more focused, turning into a professional. But but, but Rashard Higgins is, is just the quintessential modern-day wide receiver. He can do a little bit of everything. He can do shallow routes. He can do intermediate. He can win back shoulder throws downfield. And he has really had a chemistry bond that formed with Baker Mayfield in the preseason and training camp last year. Uh, Those two were just constantly connecting with the second team. And it carried over when Mayfield became the first-team quarterback. And those two were really effective together. Um, Higgins was one of the most efficient per-target wide receivers in the NFL last year. He did leave. Uh, midseason with some of those knee injuries, they get a knee sprain, and the Browns sort of suffered as an offense when he was out. I think when he's in, he forms a nice connection with Mayfield in terms of a nice safety valve. Those two just have a chemistry when he's out of the pocket finding each other. I think Mayfield really enjoys having him on the field, and I do expect a really nice about six to seven hundred yard season and a, a, a very efficient six to seven hundred yards for Higgins. I think that the Browns will will use him more than the fan base thinks.
0: And if there's one concern, whether it's a position group or area of weakness that you're worried about going into training camp, what is it and why?
1: Well, the linebackers are going to swing everything for the defense. I think the secondary looks really sound. I think the front looks really sound in terms of the front line. Linebackers are going to swing everything. If Schobert, Christian Kirksey can have really good seasons, put better seasons on tape, I think the defense has a chance to be really good. They, I don't think Greg Williams' scheme did much for those two, and I don't think Blake Williams was a fantastic position coach. So Al Holcomb comes in. I think Wilkes will give those guys a little bit easier, uh, you know, sort of responsibilities within the scheme. Linebackers have to play well, but I will say the biggest one is offensive line. The Browns have so much skill at the at the wide receiver, quarterback, running back position, tight end position. But if that offensive line doesn't gel the way that we saw the last half of last year and Greg Robinson takes steps back to what he used to be and Chris Hubbard's inconsistent and you don't get average play from Austin Corbett, whoever wins right guard position, that's a recipe for a failed offense is if that offensive line cannot gel the way I think people are hoping it can gel. They took some risk with letting Zeitler go, and they took some risk in saying that we believe Greg Robinson can keep getting better at left tackle. So hopefully, uh, to me, it's linebackers are close, but that offensive line is going to really swing how effective that, uh, that that offense is that everybody's expecting big things from.
0: He's Jake Burns. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Jake underscore Burns 18 and check out his work in Cleveland.com. Jake, I appreciate the time as always. I'm sure I will uh, be bugging you a lot this football season. Thank you.
1: <laughs> I look forward to it. Thanks for having me.
0: Good stuff there from Jake Burns here on the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. I'm James Erpine, no dangerous Daryl Ryder today. We replaced him with Jake and Greg Allen, the Indians outfielder. I talked with him about a ton, including the Bobby Bradley move, where Bobby Bradley was sent back down to AAA. We will discuss that. We will talk with Greg next, right here on the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast. Welcome back into the Cleveland Sports Beat podcast. I'm James Rapine. Great to be with you. And uh yeah, it's uh it was good. Good stuff from Jake Burns. I'm excited to talk Browns. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a big NBA head, but now that that football season is is almost here, it's like, okay. The only problem is is and I was talking to someone about this, I'm not ready for the weather to change. Like I love summer. I love it. I absolutely cherish every warm weather day ever. It, being an Ohio kid, I'm not a, a Cleveland native. I don't hide that. But being an Ohio kid, I love summer, and I never want it to end. And so, uh, yeah, that part of football season I'm not a fan of. But uh, everything else, definitely a fan of. So, yeah, we will uh, talk plenty of Browns moving forward here on this podcast. But let's talk about the try. Winners of three straight as I record this on wen- uh, Wednesday morning. Yes, I can't get my days straight. Man, This long homestand being the Indians beat reporter, it is hard. Every day is the same. Anyways, it's Wednesday morning as I record this. Indians have won three straight. Jose Ramirez looks like his old self. He really does. I mean, he's hitting over 300. He's had a double, RBI double yesterday. Uh, He's had doubles in in three straight games. Uh, Tyler Naquin is emerging. He's had uh, two hits in four straight games. This Indians offense is coming together a bit. And the Indians, despite all of the injuries, are suddenly 53 and 40. Greg Allen, by the way, coming up in five minutes. 53 and 40. They are having success, and they're doing it without Corey Kluber. They're doing it without Carlos Carrasco. They're doing it with Mike Clevenger still not nearly at 100%, with Trevor Bauer struggling some. To me, it says bye. They're within five games of the Twins now in the American League Central, which is the closest they've been in nearly two months. May 19th, they were four and a half games back, and that last like 12 days of May really broke them when it came to the the division, because they went from four and a half back to like 11 back. It was crazy how quickly the twins lead grew and it's evaporated just as quick. Essentially. I mean, the month of July uh, is suddenly it it continues. It was June and July. The Indians, boom, have flipped the script. It's down to five games in. I think they should be buyers. I do. And and, uh, I think that they can be, I think that there will be a bat or two available. The dream from a baseball standpoint, not looking at money, looking at who you could get, um, and even looking at, is Whit Merrifield. He's an outfielder, infielder, under control for multiple years. The Royals reportedly don't want to move off of him, so it doesn't sound like that's going to happen. But that's my dream, because you could literally bring him in, he could play the outfield, he could contribute this season, you could give up prospects and whatever else you need to do, and then you move him uh, to second to replace Jason Kipnis if you need to next year. I mean, that's a that's a damn good way uh, to address a need for the future while winning in, in the, the the short term as well, because he would certainly help you do that. He leads off for the Royals and he did some damage against the Indians when the Royals played him uh, earlier this year. That being said, that's not going to happen. I would think that there, there are a couple things. One, everyone asks about Trevor Bauer. I think it's less likely at this stage that he gets dealt uh, be, because really you're not going to just deal him for prospects. And it's hard to find a contending team that's going to give up a starting caliber player. Everyone mentions, oh, well, Clint Frazier, Clint Frazier. Well, he's horrible defensively. He's got an attitude issue. Uh, There's no way you do that straight up. You're going to need multiple prospects in return. Do the Yankees want to do that? There's just a lot there. Uh, I I will say I'll give you one scenario that I think would be interesting. And I don't know if the Reds would do it. Um, and, And I'm not even sure if Yasiel Puig is available. But the Indians certainly are interested in long-term solutions. They're interested in long-term solutions in the outfield. The Reds have Taylor Trammell, who was the guy who stole home and was ruled out in the, the Futures game if you watched it, but he was actually safe. Like, if you, look, you went back and watched it, it was safe, and we wouldn't have had a tie in the Futures game that they called it safe. Anyways, he's a really good athletic Outfielder in AAA. He plays for AAA Louisville, the Louisville Bats, in the Reds organization. I'm familiar with him because I used to cover him. So Taylor Trammell and Yasiel Puig for Trevor Bauer, who says no. Yasiel Puig's under contract for the next couple of months. Obviously could play outfield now. Could hit in that four spot for you if you wanted to. If you wanted to move him up to three or Jose Ramirez to three or whatever you wanted to do, you could do that with Santana. But a one through five of Francisco Lindor, Oscar Mercado, and I'll just keep it the way it is for now, Carlos Santana, Yasiel Puig, and Jose Ramirez, that's dangerous. Like, that's pretty good. That's pretty damn good. you got a good mix of speed, power. It, it, that's what you look for. I don't think it happens, but that's, those are the type of deals you look for. Like, can you get a, a higher-end prospect that can contribute at some point and a guy like Yasiel Puig who can, boom, have an impact right away. Those are the type of deals. And I think it's easier said than done, especially because if you're the Reds, if you're giving up Puig, you're probably not winning this year. So that means you're trading for Bauer to what? Potentially win next year? It just, it doesn't line up. And it's going to be hard to find a trade that lines up with a a potential contender unless they swing a three-way deal, which is what I've maintained they should look at doing. Easier said than done, but try to move Trevor Bauer for prospects and you take those prospects and you swing them to another team that likes those prospects and can give up uh, Whit Merrifield or can give up one of those guys like that. So it'll be interesting to see. Ultimately, I do think they buy. I don't think it's a huge move. I think Brad Hand stays put. I think Trevor Bauer probably stays put. Unless they feel so great about Corey Kluber, who's throwing his first bullpen session later today, Wednesday afternoon. Uh, I will keep you up to date on that on 923thefan.com and on my Twitter, at Erpine on what happens, how that goes. He's throwing 20 fastballs. But maybe there's a scenario where they feel great about where Corey Kluber is after maybe a rehab start or he's getting close to a rehab start that they say, hey, we can move on from Bauer. We're getting Corey Kluber back in a couple of weeks. So I could see that. I really could, especially if they're worried about what the value is because they're going to deal Bauer at some point, what the value is going to be this winter for a guy like Trevor Bauer. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out Here's what I do know. The Indians should be buyers. They're too good not to be right now. I mean, they've overcome a ton, and they have a better record right now than they did last year at this stretch. I believe at the break last year, they were 52 and 43. I might be a game off. Today they're 53 and 40. And the break last year came later. It came around this time. Uh the all-star break this year it was earlier. So it, it, it always changes. But that that's interesting. One guy that that's helped. Uh, a ton over the past couple of days. Tyler Naquin, I mentioned. Greg Allen, too. And I like Greg Allen's game because he's, and I'm not just saying this because I interviewed him yesterday, but he, he's he's athletic, he's strong, he's fast, and he's going to do whatever the hell you ask him to do. Like, not many guys in the major leagues, the young guys, 26-year-olds, can get brought up, get sent down, get brought up, get sent down, get brought up, get sent down, and he has. And he's handled it like a class act, pro's pro. Whatever you want to say, whatever cliche you want to use, that's what Greg Allen's done. And I I respect that because I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could get go through that and keep uh, the same mental state and be ready to go each and every day. And Greg Allen is, and that's something I really respect about him. I like his game. I love that he's that utility guy. Literally, you could pinch run him. You could put him in the outfield for defensive purposes. Obviously, he can uh, tear it up on the the base paths as well and brings a little pop at times. His average, he got off to a really bad start this year. His average starting to creep up there, as is Jose Ramirez's. I, I talked with Greg yesterday, Tuesday afternoon, before their 8-0 win over the Tigers. Just about the season, I talked to him about Bobby Bradley because I know a lot of you questioned that or, or wondered about that. I'll have more on the backside of this. But I talked to Greg Allen about, about a bunch of stuff. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. We don't usually put in player conversations here on the podcast, but I thought this one was worth sharing. This is uh, my one-on-one interview with Indians outfielder Greg Allen. Greg, the past couple of days you guys have won. Obviously you beat the Twins on, on Sunday. In a game that kind of went haywire in the seventh inning, you guys still find a way to pull it out. And yesterday you come back deal with the rain delay and come back stronger than ever. You've won two straight. I think you're – the the resilience of this team certainly stands out when fans watch you. Where does that come from? Uh, You know,
2: I think it's something that we understand that we need at this point in the season. Um, You know, back half of the year, second half, uh, you know, every game is crucial. Um, not that it isn't in the first half, but you understand that that window of time um, now gets shorter and shorter with each passing day. So, um, you know, we, we, we can't afford to take a game off. Um, we can't afford to take a pitch off. Uh, and I think, you know, when you have a group of guys with that mindset, uh, you know, it speaks to that resilience.
0: Speaking of resilience, you, you've you went from Columbus to here and back multiple times this season what goes through your mind when you you get that news, and how have you stayed dialed in to when you got promoted right before the break, and obviously after that, you've you've had some success here with the Indians?
2: Uh, just understanding the process, um, having a chance to uh, experience that a little bit last year as well, um, and and you know I think you know being around this group of guys, this coaching staff, and even the guys and you know the staff that we have down in Columbus um, and throughout our minor league levels do 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 a great job of just making sure that um, you know guys guys are putting themselves in the best position mentally, physically. Um, I think to contribute, no matter where that may be, no matter what level that may be at. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's as a player and as an individual, um, you definitely have to learn how to navigate those highs and lows. Um, and, you know, no matter what externally may be going on, um, I think you realize that you have the ability to control yourself. Um, and and, and the, the effort, the attitude you bring. Um, and things that are within your control um, as an individual. So uh, that's kind of the approach I take on it. Um, and again, just trying to the, you know, to do the best I can to contribute um, in the moment and wherever my feet may be.
0: Personally, do you use that as motivation when you get that news that you're going back to AAA? Not that it's a, necessarily a bad thing, but do you use that as fuel when you're working out and doing your all the things you do to prepare?
2: I think for me, it, it's just using it you know, more as a learning point. Um, being able to learn and build off experiences I've had, the good and the bad. Um, so, you know, you know, focusing on correcting those, 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 those errors or, or, you know, those, those, those things that you may not have done well. Um, you know, but understanding, I think, that there's value to be had uh, one, one way or the other, whether you're, you're coming up or going down. Um, I think it, it's, it's all about your response to that. Um, and obviously nobody wants to be going the opposite direction of where they hope to be. Um, but again, that's a part of the game. Uh, and that, that, that's something that, you know, uh, as players and as athletes, um, you know, you, you definitely have to deal with that. Um, you know, so, so whether it's the failure or successes, um, I think, you know, the, the, the better that you can be, um, at, you know, deriving
0: value from that, the, you know, the, the, the better you have to be long term. We're in the clubhouse with Greg Allen. Greg. Bobby Bradley. The news came down today that he was sent back to AAA. Were you able to talk to him after that news came down, after he found out? Actually, I haven't. No, no, no. I haven't. Uh, and even, even
2: um, coming in today, uh, I think I was really, really unaware, I think, until I got to my locker um, of, you know, what that transaction was and what that movement was. So... Um, I think all of us knew, um, team as a whole, um, kind of the direction that we were going as far as our pitching staff, knowing that Pulisic was sent down for the break. Obviously, he would be back up to make this start. Um, As far as everything else that would have to fall into place for that to happen, um, we really ran aware of, as the player, so um, no. Unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to see or talk to Bobby, but um, you know, from having a chance to play with Bobby the past, you know, three, four, five years, um, I know that you know he's only going to get better from this point. Um, it's not something that he's going to he's going to he's going to you know, use to derail his career, but it'll be something that you know he'll, he'll definitely be able to learn and, and, and grow from.
0: Do you think it's something that he could reach out to you about? You know, because this, this oh, is the yeah. first time yeah. he's been yeah. up here yeah. And, yeah. and sent back, and that that, that to me. If I'm – and he was right next to you locker-wise, yeah, yeah. I'm calling you today or texting you today just to, to see or, yeah. or pick your brain about yeah,
2: it. Yeah, no no doubt. I'm, I'm sure him and I will have conversations, um, you know, in the days going forward. Um, um, and I think right now for him it's just – Again, uh, kind of understanding that movement, uh, he, has a, he has a lot to kind of get together and go on, even outside of the field, um, obviously, understanding, all right, you're kind of, you know, packing up and getting things together, going to a different spot, where's that triple A team at, what's your, even your living arrangements basically going to be for the next, you know, few days next week, and when you get back to wherever you're going, so um, I think kind of once the dust settles, he has a chance to kind of settle back in um, and, and, and kind of get his bearings, and Um, It's definitely a a whole lot easier to have that conversation. But for now, I think he's just trying to get things organized.
0: We're talking with Indians outfielder Greg Allen. Greg Oscar Mercado gets promoted, and from the jump. I mean, he just has success. He was at one point leading the team in batting average, making plays in the outfield, and then he hits a slump in July. And he busts out of it yesterday with two home runs. Did he come to you, or or was there any any guidance there? Because I, I think when you go through... The first of many things in the big leagues. It's probably a little different. It was uncharted territory for yeah, him.
2: You know, there's, there's, being around this this, this group, and um, you know, a lot of us have had the chance to play uh, together for a while now, whether it's at the at this level or. Um, other levels um, so I think you know there's there's always usual you know usually some general conversation that goes on when guys based on the guy's feeling the guy's not feeling um, and it doesn't mean even have to be on the field it can be you know while we're you know grabbing lunch or you know out at dinner or something like that so um, there's always conversations that we as teammates are having about the game um, and you know we've all been there we all get it we all know what that feeling's like um, you know to, 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 to feel like you know you're not really yourself you're not having the success that you'd like so um, you know I think for him more than anything It was just, uh, you know, understanding that, you know, this this wasn't something that was going to last forever. Um, And and eventually, he had the confidence. We had the confidence in him and the belief that, um, you know, he was he would he would would get back to where he wanted to be. So it was great to see that from him yesterday. Uh, You know, bust out in a big way like that, have some big hits for us, get us that huge home run late. Um, You know, his second his his second home run of the day. Um, I'm sure he was happy about it as well.
0: All right. So I talked to over the break. Mm -hmm. I talked to Daniel Johnson during the. the (laughs) The um, futures game, right? Yeah. And I, I've also talked to you and Oscar Mercado. I think you guys are obviously all great athletes, all yeah. three of you, and you're in the Indians organization. You know, wow. Daniel says he's faster he can have that. He than can have than that. Mercado. But but here he, but but here's what here's what's funny. What did Oscar at, say about that? Uh, he laughed. <laughs> he, he laughed at that, right? So but here's the thing is and you know this, Oscar says you're the only one he admits is faster than he is. So who wins in a race between you three? I'm gonna I'm gonna put you I'm gonna put you out there ninety feet, who wins?
2: Oh man, that is that's a tough one. Ah, phew. You know, it'd probably be close. Those guys are those guys are some freakish athletes. I mean, just looking at DJ, uh, he's, a, he's almost a machine. I mean, he's the only one rocking the, the no sleeves during the futures game, and probably one of the only guys to be able to pull it off. Uh, so that just speaks to his athleticism. Yeah, that's tough. I don't know if I'm going to answer that. But to be honest, I feel like sometimes, you know, I don't know if
0: these legs are getting old of mine. Oh, I'm come like on. Get serious, out of here. I feel like
2: older than that sometimes. I don't know. You're trying to be know. humble right now is what you're doing. Yeah, you're
0: I, just complimenting. Um... Yeah, that would be
2: tough. That would be tough. That's that's You know, maybe we'll have to we'll have to lock that in. We'll, we'll be able to take some side bets from our teammates, and, you know, may, maybe we'll just make it a whole spectacle.
0: Oh, on, I have to be there. All <laughs> right. I, I can be the only <laughs> – the only person that has a credential for the, the the three-way race has, if when you play in an outfield like this, where you have athletes like a Mercado or Daniel Johnson, at some point will be up here, whether it's this year, next year, etc. You obviously great athletes. Is it does it make it easier? Does it make it more fun? Is it is it one of those things where it's like, man, we can do some fun stuff yeah, if we're on the know, field together?
2: I think. It's something you definitely take pride in um, as an outfield group and core, and you know, even looking at I think some 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 of the better outfield uh, you know groups in our game today. Uh, I think one of the, the first ones that comes to mind is probably the Red Sox, and and we talk about athleticism, um, and the ability to you know not only be athletic but know how to use that um, athletic ability um, when it counts. Uh, and I think you know the Red Sox never chance to play against them the past couple of years. Have shown that uh, you know when you got guys like Ben you know Mookie, Jackie Bradley. Um, I think all those guys, in their own, are, are, are extremely athletic, and there's a reason why. Uh, you know I think as a defense and as an outfield, they've been able to, to benefit from that. Um, not only having that belief and confidence in the guy next to you, but understanding that now as a whole. You're 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 in a place where you feel like you can you can you can make plays and pick up your pitching staff that maybe not other teams can. Um, so I think you know that's something that again we definitely take pride in and you know whether whether it's the three of us or you know you got Bowers and Lupo out there as well, I think as you know, as as as, a, as an outfield group, um, you know, we we trust in that ability to be able
0: to make plays when it counts. You and, and last question for you, you've been great with your time. When you think about how young it is because obviously you three—you mentioned Luke Lowe, you mentioned Jake Bowers—all young, all in your twenties. Do You get excited for the future. I know you have to stay present, but are you excited to, to to not only grow but become that 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 next Brantley or that next you know long-term Indians outfielder that has an impact? Are you excited as a group for that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as you said, <laughs> um, you know, right now
2: again we're 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 focused on this season. Um, and, and and trying to finish it in the best way possible, um, but you know, looking down the road um, and, and maybe the the potential um, and, and and what's there now and what could be, uh, you know, it's definitely, definitely something that I think you have to be excited about. Um, and again, it's the game of baseball, so turnover can happen instantly quickly. Uh, but you know, based on I think our current outlook, um, it's definitely exciting. Um, and I think it's 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 a young group that. Um, that has a pretty high ceiling, um, you know, you know and, and to be able to be around a group of guys like that, be able to, you know, potentially and possibly grow with them um, and each become stronger in, in our own ways um, is something that we definitely forward to.
0: Greg, I appreciate the time, and I'm going to trust Oscar. My money's on you, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate the time. Let me know when the race is, okay? <laughs> Sounds good. Appreciate it. That race thing, by the way, that's no lie. That's real. That's real. <laughs> Daniel Johnson was like, hell yeah, I'll whoop them. I'll whoop them. I, or I'll whoop Oscar. That's what he said. But Oscar won't admit it. Here's what I'll say The fact that Oscar Mercado, who's young, 24 years old, is willing to say Greg is faster than him, I'm rolling with Greg. My money's on Greg. And then Daniel Johnson's third. Especially his muscle. Man, he's he's muscular. He's more muscular than those two guys. Like those two guys are they're they're muscular in their tone, but they're lean. Like Oscar Mercado glides. Greg Allen flies. Daniel Johnson, I'm not saying he can't run. And the other guy that, that Greg mentioned, he said, just wait for Bradley Zimmer. If we're going to have a race, Bradley Zimmer needs to be on, in on it as well. As he uh, continues to rehab, last I heard he was in Arizona still working, back, working his way back from shoulder, and shoulder injury. Uh, real quick on Bobby Bradley. Look, he can't hit off speed pitches right now. I get it. It's 45 at-bats, 49 plate appearances. Everyone's like, oh, my God. No, no, no. He, he just wasn't ready. It's okay. And the thing that I thought was is really made a ton of sense is Terry Francona was like, yeah, we don't want him to be a, a DH long-term. Like, We feel like that's going to hurt him long-term, and he can go to AAA and play first base every day and be the everyday first baseman getting at bats every single day, working on his game now that he's got a taste. And he praised him. He said, hey, I think we, he could be a big part of our future. He's obviously a power bat, and he's going to be a good power hitter, but he's got some things he needs to work on. It's totally fine. They brought him up. They gave him a look. He hit under 200. One home run. Four RBI. Didn't have the power they were hoping for. Why? Off speed. he will figure it out. I'm confident he will figure it out. He's 23 years old. He's a baby. He's a big baby. I mean, he's a big kid. Big dude. He's a baby still. He's got some time. It's going be interesting to see how that plays out. All right. I got to get out of here, but I appreciate you guys for listening. I'm James Rapine. This is the first solo edition of the Cleveland Sports Speed Podcast, but we had some great guests. Obviously, Greg Allen, we had Jake Burns earlier in the podcast. Much appreciated him uh, jumping by or stopping by to talk about Baker Mayfield and uh, Miles Garrett and, and, and the Browns. Is there. Browns mania, I live right by First Energy Stadium, like right by Public Square. So it is going to be wild on Sundays this fall. I can't wait. I know you can't either. Your number one spot for all things Browns, Indians, Cavaliers is 92.3 The Fan and 92.3TheFan.com. I promise you. That's all you got. Bookmark it. Subscribe to the podcast and, and make sure you're following Daryl and I on Twitter. He's at Right or Wrong Fan. He'll be back next week. I'm at James Erpine, and we have you covered for whatever Cleveland sport you need. Any any info, we got it at 923thefan.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm James Erpine. Thank you for listening to the Cleveland Sports Beat Podcast.
2: Okay, picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.